0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for Johnny Dollar.
2: Oh, Why, man? How's your stomach, Johnny? What? Rich food get into trouble? Who is this? Oh, Why, your old buddy, and your sonny.
1: Oh, hi, Angie. Glad you got my message.
2: Yeah. How about dinner tonight at Antoine's, Johnny? Shrimp gumbo, oysters,
1: Rockefeller. Yeah, sounds fine. Only I've got to do some work first.
2: Man, I thought you was here in New Orleans on vacation.
1: No. Little matter of fire insurance and the company's check for sixteen thousand.
2: Somebody trying to cheat them out of it, huh?
1: You won't believe this, Angie. Somebody turned it down.
3: What?
1: Bob Bailey, in the exciting adventures of a man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense
4: account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Providential Fire and Marine, 787 Greenleaf Avenue, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Royal Street matter. Expense account item one, $103.82, transportation to New Orleans. Item two, $4.20, cab from the airport to the Roosevelt Hotel. After unpacking, I put in the call to my old friend, Angie Orsati. Nobody knows the French Quarter or the people living there like Angie does. For three months of the winter, he stays in the swamp, trapping muskrats. The rest of the year, he lives with his mother near the Cabildo. Angie wasn't in, but his mother said she knew where to reach him, and five minutes later, he returned my call. We arranged to meet for dinner, then I phoned the agent who had sold the policy in question. His name's Benford, and naturally, he was anxious to see me. C.D. Benford's office is on the third floor of the Hibernia Bank building. He's a stocky, red-faced man, probably in his late 50s.
5: Come in, Mr. Dollar. Come in, come in. Thanks. Help yourself to the chair. Say, you fellas sure don't waste any time, do you?
2: We try not
5: to, Mr. Benford. C.D. boy. What? You call me C.D. like all the other folks do. Oh, okay, C.D. Yeah. Now, like I was saying, you boys sure don't waste any time at all. Why, I didn't even call the home office till the day before yesterday. I know. When was the fire? Last week, on Thursday night. What'd they tell you about it?
4: Well, not very much. Figured I'd get all the information from you.
5: Well, it's a doozy. First time I've ever run across a policyholder who wasn't young for us to pay him yesterday for his loss today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, who is the insured, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, C.D.? man named Dupas, Henry Dupas. Took out a policy for 48000 That's full coverage on his antique shop down on Royal Street. How long ago? August, just three months back. I'd been after him for, oh, maybe five, six months to buy some protection, but he kept saying he didn't have the money. Didn't have the money? And one day I dropped in to see him about his car insurance, and right off he told me to write a policy, giving him full fire coverage on the shop.
4: Well, how do you arrange to
5: pay it? Cash, in full, the day I delivered the policy. He tell you why he changed his mind? Yeah, not exactly, let he mentioned something about times being better. <laughs> I reckon they must have been.
4: Why'd he say that?
5: Well, a few days later, he had the back part of his shop all painted and fixed up. And that's the part that burned. And he hired himself a girl to work in the office, a real good looker, too. Well, what caused the fire, you know? I sure do. Antique kerosene lamp got knocked over accidental. According to what Dupas told the fireman, he was in the back of the shop with a customer showing him the lamp.
3: Uh-huh. When it
5: fell, the fire started. The two of them tried to put it out. I reckon that's why they didn't call the fire department right off. Uh-huh. And did Dupas tell you the same thing? Dupas? Uh, he didn't tell me nothing. Well, he reported the fire to you, didn't he? He did not. And that's what's got us riled up. I wouldn't know about it now if I hadn't brought in there the other day. Was Dupar there when you stopped in? Yes, sirree. And when I saw the place, look, the whole back of the store gutted out and the his antiques destroyed. I let him have both barrels, I tell you. Oh, what'd he say to that? Well, nothing too much. Just acted like he wasn't interested in whether we paid for it or not. Didn't even ask for a claim for him. That's funny. Sure is. I thought maybe he was so upset over losing some of his valuable antiques, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. So, after I checked with the fire department, got a copy of their report, I typed up a claim for it. You figured the damage at 16000 right? Mm-hmm. I uh, knew how much he spent fixing up the back. When I'd issued the policy, I'd gotten an estimate on most of the antiques. So what happened when you gave him the claim? He signed it? He did not. Said to forget about the fire. Huh? And when I kept after him, he called me a busybody and told me to get out of his shop and stay out. What do you think, C.D.? you have any
4: idea why he didn't report
1: it or sign that claim? If I had, boy, I wouldn't have sent for you. I left Binford's office and walked over to Canal Street.
4: The sun had gone down and a cool breeze was coming in off the river, bringing with it the smell of coffee beans and fruit from the banana boats. I crossed Canal and turned on to Royal, heading into the French Quarter. When I reached Henry Dupas' antique shop, I stopped. There are a lot of antique shops on Royal. All of them look pretty much the same. The buildings, as old as the fine rosewood mahogany pieces they shelter. There was nothing different about this one, at least from the outside. The fire had started and finished in the rear of the building. I tried the front door, but it was locked. I didn't think anyone would be there that late, but I knocked anyway. Mr. Dupas? Who is it? My name is Dollar, Mr. DuPont. I represent the Providential Fire Marine.
5: Why do you people persist in annoying me? Well, we wouldn't if you'd tell us about the fire. There's nothing special about that fire, Mr. Dollar. It was an accident.
4: Well, then, why didn't you file a claim? You're entitled to enough money to cover your loss. Mr.
5: Benford explained that to me quite carefully. If you haven't talked to her, Mr. Dollar, you
2: should. Oh, I've talked to him. Well, then go away,
4: well, not until you
2: answer a few no, questions. No, leave for... me alone,
3: please.
4: I'd noticed an alley next to the shop that ended where the rear door had been. I started back along and not quite sure what I was looking for or what I expected to find. But I was sure of one thing. DePauw was a frightened man. It was too dark to see anything at the end of the alley, so I returned to the street. Item three,
2: $30.50, phone call, taxi and dinner for two at Antoine. Nice, ain't it, Johnny? All hmm? Oh, the way it never changes. Same waiter, same chef, same clientele. Yeah. Like another Café Royale, Angie? No, no, thanks. Well, Johnny? Yeah. Well, when are you going to ask me? Ask you what? Oh, don't kid me. John, you had that old bloodhound look in your eye ever since we sat down. What's the question? <laughs> okay, Angie... What do you know about a man named Henry DuPont? DuPont's antique shop? That's right. Oh, not much. Seen him around some, so. Yeah, where? Oh, you, you know the kind of places I like, Johnny. Yeah, but I can't picture DuPont liking them. Well, maybe he don't, but maybe that little old blonde he's been carrying with him does. Blonde? Yeah, you know, female, girl, bleached hair. I know, I know. Yeah. How old? Oh, 24, 5. Yeah, real nice for old coot like him. Real winter and spring, huh? Yeah. You seen them together often? Oh, well, a few times. Saw them about two weeks ago at Butcher's place. Hey, you know something? I walked in there that night with a five and I walked out with two hundred. <laughs> How about that? Great. You know who the blonde is? No, but I might be able to find out. You want? Yeah, I want.
4: And started back toward royal street on the way i ran up item four one dollar and eighty five cents for one flashlight and batteries the shades on par shop were drawn but i could tell there were lights on inside in the alley a small pickup truck was parked near the side entrance to the shop in the back of the truck looking like they'd just been taken off the boat were several stalks of bananas there wasn't much else to see except the charred wood and refuse left in the alley after the fire I started back toward the street when a man, a much larger man than the bar, came out the side door and got into the truck. He turned over the engine and switched on the lights before I could get clear.
5: Hey, what are you doing there? Hold it, mister, right there. Hey, buddy, just hold it. What were you doing back there, huh? Well, right now, mister, I'm wondering what this load of bananas is doing in an antique shop. What is it, Carl? Well, I just caught this guy snooping around in the back. But it's Mr. Dollar. Yeah, that's right. You you know him, DuPa? He's one of those insurance men I told you about. Oh, well, what are you here for, Dollar? Didn't Dupa tell you he doesn't want any money from you people? Now, why not? Because he's afraid we might have to take a good look
1: around before paying no, off. No, son.
5: Well, now, is... now, now look, Dollar. Mister Dupar's been okay with you people, so you got no reason to come snooping around. Especially after he's told you he don't want you around. So now maybe Mister Dupar will have to do something to keep you away. Ain't that right, Mister Dupar? Uh, you know what I mean. Yes, that's yes, all right. I'll do it, Carl. And he'll never bother us again. Go on, Dollar. Get out of here.
4: At the time, I had no idea what they meant to do, so it wasn't easy to turn my back on them. But I did, and nothing happened. I went back to my hotel and hit the sack, and I must confess I slept later than usual the next morning. I was still in bed when the phone rang. Johnny Dollar.
2: Boy, hey now, where's my dynamic northern friend?
4: Oh, he's off today. I'm taking his place.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Well, in the news I got, well, I reckon it'll keep till tomorrow. yeah. Well, so long.
4: No, no, wait, 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 Angie. Yeah. Did you find out anything about that blonde DuPont's been seeing?
2: Oh, sure, everybody around the French Market Coffee Shop used to know her. Uh, used to, meaning up till she went to work for Mr. DuPont. She worked for DuPont? Yeah, in the office at his store. Started in there about three months ago. Well, come on. Well, since then, nobody sees her anymore. At least none of her old gang. You know where she lives? Yep. The Pontalba Apartments. That is, unless she has moved... Oh, what's her name? Rose Allen. What? Yeah. She used to be a dancer. Had enough for you to go on?
4: Yeah, Angie, thanks. That's plenty. <laughs> Expense account item five, $1.40 cab fare from my hotel to the Pontalba Apartments. The list of names on the register near the manager's office told me Rose Ellen's apartment was number 215. But when I got up there, the girl who opened the door wasn't a blonde. Yes? Oh, I'm looking for Miss Rose Ellen.
6: She isn't in.
4: Oh, she at work?
6: (laughs) Who are you? I mean, are you a friend of hers?
4: My name is Dollar, Johnny Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator.
6: Investigator? Well, she hasn't done anything, has she?
4: (laughs) Well, not that I know of. Uh, Look, Miss... um...
6: Garbo. Garbo? May Garbo. Uh
4: You're a dancer, aren't you?
6: How'd you guess?
4: Oh, I'm good at recognizing talents.
6: Oh? Would you like to come in? I've got some coffee on.
4: Well, that'll be just fine. Say, you've certainly got a nice view of the square from here.
6: Mm, I suppose... Don't you think so? Oh, sure, if you like that sort of thing. Me, I just think the square's kind of (laughs) square. Oh,
4: Oh, that's good. That's very good. I brought it
6: up the day we moved here.
4: You and Rose move in here together?
6: Uh Uh-huh. Oh, sit down, Johnny. Make yourself at home.
1: Well, thanks.
6: Gee, you're so polite. You wait to be asked. Yeah.
4: Look, tell me, what time do you think Rose will be home?
6: Oh, I couldn't say.
4: Uh, May, this is important. What time does she usually get home?
6: Well, I don't know. I mean, after all, she's got her own life to live, you know, and I'm not her keeper. Okay, okay. Sometimes she doesn't get home for days. Oh, I better get the coffee.
4: She ever say anything to you about the fire?
6: Yeah. What fire?
4: The fire down at the antique shop.
6: No, you want cream and sugar?
4: No, thanks, just black.
6: Good. When was that?
4: The fire. Last Thursday night.
6: That's funny.
4: What's
2: funny?
6: That was the last time I saw her. What? Yeah. Rose went to work last Thursday, but she never came home.
1: Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. You don't have to be a special investigator to know that Americans don't take their civic responsibilities lightly. The Election Day turnout proved that beyond any shadow of doubt. So now it's time for you to face up to another responsibility to the nation in just as straightforward a way. Our Grand Observer Corps needs volunteers. We at CBS Radio urge you to write or telephone your nearest civil defense center to learn how you can help in this vast program that patrols our skies. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Royal Street Matter.
4: This was the screwiest deal I'd ever seen. A guy refusing insurance money he was entitled to. Rose Ellen was my one lead, so I continued questioning May, her roommate. May told me this was the first time Rose had been away so long without at least sending for a change of clothes. I asked about Rose's boyfriends. She told me Rose had been going with one other man beside Dupas, but she didn't know who he was. After May promised to call me if she heard from Rose Ellen, I left. Expense account item 6, $1.90, taxi from the Pontalba Apartments to the Hibernia Bank building. My insurance contact, Binford, wasn't in. So while I waited for him, I wondered again why DuPont refused to sign the claim for the fire damage to his shop. Could he afford a loss of $16,000? I wondered if something had happened in that shop, something DuPont tried to cover up with a fire. I was wondering what it could have been when Binford walked in.
5: Well, I'm glad you're here, Johnny. We got trouble. Oh? I hear you paid Dupas a call last night.
1: That way you've been?
5: Yeah. He phoned me about ten, wanted me there fast. Oh, boy. I wish that's sense enough to stay away. Well, what happened, C.D.? Now, before I tell you that, you tell me what he said to you last night. Nothing important, just something about fixing it so I couldn't bother him again. Oh? Well, he did. How? Huh. He canceled his fire insurance policy and every other policy ever bought from him. Canceled? Yeah. So you might as well go on back to your hotel and pack, Johnny. It's none of your affair now, no matter what he's up to. Hmm. Yeah. yeah it's too bad it had to turn out this way. You want a drink before you go?
2: Yeah, I guess I need one. Yeah.
5: What'll it be, scotch or, uh...
2: Scotch, Nicholas. Yes.
5: Good. See, was making a mess. When you, uh... Where can you leave? Oh, well, I don't know. I'll check with the airline when I get back to the hotel. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, there you go. Nice. Better luck next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. CD. Hmm? What about the policy? Policy. Policy. Did he return the policy to you? Uh, no. I said do it tomorrow.
4: But he's covered until he does return it. Does he know that?
5: Why, no. I don't reckon he does. Good, good. He might get careless. And as long as that policy is in force, I can bother him as much as I want. Oh, I don't see what's the use, Johnny. He'll have it here about tomorrow evening. That still gives me 24 hours to get lucky. C.D., you said something about a customer being with him when that kerosene lamp was knocked over. Mm hmm. According to what he told the fire department, there was. You had that person's name? Well, I should have. I took it in the fire department's report, and i got that right here. Uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Now, let's see. Mm-hmm. The name was Andrew W. DeLong. Address, 1515 West Claiborne. Mm-hmm.
4: There wasn't any Andrew DeLong at that address. We checked the telephone book and the city directory, and the only Andrew W. DeLong we found was out in Metri in a mausoleum. So we drove back towards CD's office.
5: Well, now what, Johnny? Dupont. Huh? Find out everything we can about Dupin and everybody who works for him. But ain't nobody but his secretary and his assistant. Fella name, Carl. Yeah. How long has Carl been working for him? Oh, about as long as she has. Does this Carl own a fruit stand? A
2: fr- oh, not I uh, know, but why? Oh, I just wondered. Hey, what time is it, C. D. Uh two uh, fifteen?
5: <laughs> Say, if we're gonna check on DuPa's credit, we'd better get to the bank before the close. You're driving. Let's move. <laughs> Expense
4: account item seven, $22.80, telephone calls, and a couple of gratuities to obtain a lot of information about Dupar. I learned, among other things, that he banked almost $11,000 in the past three months. Before that, almost nothing. But there's no law against making money, so I still had nothing concrete to go on. At 5.30, I left Binford, went back to my hotel, and there found a message from May, Rose Ellen's roommate, asking me to go to her apartment immediately. So I did.
6: Johnny. Yeah, hi, May. Oh, well, come in. Johnny, you know what you made me promise. Yeah? Well, it happened.
4: You mean you've heard from Rose?
6: Well, no, not exactly. But a man called this afternoon and talked about her.
4: Oh, well, I hope he had only nice things to say.
6: Oh, yes, he said she's just fine. What? Didn't you hear me?
4: Yeah, he said she's fine. Fine. Well, what else did he say?
6: Well, he said he was going to come by at 4 o'clock and pick up her clothes. I should have them ready. No,
4: but of course he didn't.
6: Well, he did so. He did?
4: Oh, what man? You know him? You get his name?
6: Mr. Dollar, you don't think I'd let Rose's things go out of here with a complete stranger, do you? Of course he told me his name. Well? You aren't nearly as polite as you were this morning.
4: All right, I'm sorry. What's the man's name, Darling?
6: Oh, well, that's much better. It's Grant. Grant? That's right.
4: That doesn't register. Really
6: seem... From the way he talked, he must be the one Rose was going with while she was dating that old antique.
4: You ever see this guy, Grant, before?
6: No, but I'm sure he's the one she talked about. Really, it used to get so tiresome. Carl this and Carl does that. Oh. What? I said, oh. May,
4: tell me. Where did he say he was taking her clothes?
6: Well, he didn't say. He just put them in that old truck.
4: Thanks, sweetheart. See you later. Oh. I needed a fast car and a driver who could handle it, so I called Angelo Arsati. Twenty minutes later, we parked in front of Dupas' antique shop. There was a dim light on inside. Now, look, brother, there's really no reason for you to
2: get mixed up in this thing. Are you kidding, sir? Hmm. Looks like Dupas ain't gonna answer. All right, let's see what this hunk of stone will do to the glass. Here. Hey, Nat got it. I can reach through to lock. nobody here. Well. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I see him. Carl, what happened to you? Dollar. Angie, call an ambulance. Tell him a man's been stabbed here. Yeah, right, Johnny. Dollar. Get to her before he can. To Gonna kill Rose. He... he Got to help her. Dupar wants to kill her. Why? She, she found out smuggling. Is that what Dupar's been up to? Smuggling in banana shipments. Rose found out. Where is she? He thought I'd killed her, but I love her. Yeah. Well, look. Tell me you. You gotta get to her before he does. Where is she? Hold. Spanish Fortress. Yeah. Out on Bayou Slidell. Old Spanish Fortress on the Bayou Slidell. Yeah. You know where that is, Angie? Oh, sure. An old ruin out in the swamps north of town near the highway bridge. It goes over to the Gulf Coast.
4: Carl, how long ago
2: did DuPont leave? Ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, well, we could beat him, Johnny, by cutting across the swamps. That is, if you could take him. What do you mean by that? Well, it's rugged. Like what? Johnny. Did you ever ride a swamp, Buggy? Oh, brother. Yeah? How much farther, Angie? Well, should be right up ahead. How can you
1: tell? All I can see is swamp and marsh grass.
2: Yeah, well, i done a lot of trapping out here. I know the channel.
1: Think we'll make the old ruins before the find.
2: Well, we've got to, don't we? Hey, there it is. That old wreck is called a fortress? Man, that's it. Well, get us up as close to it as you can. I don't see anybody parked. Nobody nobody approaching the bridge. There we are. Come on, hey. let's go. Now, uh, hey, hey, look, John. There she is at the side end. Yeah, I see. Rose! Rose, Ellen! She's scared. She dug back inside. Rose! We're friends of Carl's. He sent us to help you. Well, Come on, Johnny. We can get inside through her through this here doorway. Okay. This place looks like it's about ready
1: to fall apart.
2: Rose! Yeah, man. Dark in here, too. Yeah. Don't step on them falling bricks. Okay. Rose! Rose Ellen! Where's Carl? Dupont tried to kill him.
6: Oh, no. Rose,
2: come on out here where we can see you. Rose! Dupont, he
6: found out that Carl didn't kill me, is that
5: it? Yeah. But Carl's
4: all right now. Look, Rose, I want you to tell me all you know about the fire at Dupont's
2: shop. Were you there?
6: Yes.
2: Well, what happened?
6: Dupont had me tied up. Told Carl I'd found out what they were doing. The smuggling, I mean. He told Carl to kill me. He didn't know Carl and I was going to be married.
4: Go on, go on.
6: Carl argued with him. That's when the lamp got knocked over. They didn't stop arguing till DuPas said he'd kill us both. So finally, Carl told DuPas he'd take care of me. Well, he had to, or Dupal would have killed us.
2: But instead, Carl brought you here. Yes. Oh, come on, Johnny. Let's get out of this dark oh, Wait a minute, Angie. Rose, do you know why DuPa was afraid to report his fire to the
4: insurance company?
6: Some of the things he smuggled in was lost in the fire. If anybody come poking around, they might have found out what he's doing. What
4: was he smuggling? Do you know?
6: Little tiny boxes filled with white powder, hidden in the bananas.
2: Johnny. No, I caught Yeah, sure No wonder he banks so much money so fast
5: I bank much more But i ah! get rid of you, darling
2: Look, look at that There here's the door Yeah, watch it
6: See, I ain't fooling, darling
2: He can't see us No, but what a target he makes in that doorway against the light No gun, No, Johnny. no But we can try one of these bricks Yeah, man, but if you miss dollar. Wish me luck Darling! Right here, pop Come on. Oh, man, dear. You could qualify for the New York Yankees, Johnny. All right, DuPa. On your feet. Let's get out of here.
4: Expense account total, including rental on the swamp buggy, incidentals and transportation back to Hartford, $517.20. Remarks? Well, where he's going, DuPont wouldn't have any use for the insurance money anyway. Carl Grant turned state's evidence and clinched the smuggling charges against him. Because of that, Carl may get off easy. I hope so. He and Rose could make a very happy couple. And a remarks and a report. Yours
2: truly... Johnny Dollar.
1: Our star will return in just a moment. If we are to remain alert to possible acts of aggression, we need the continuous operation of the Ground Observer Corps. And if the Ground Observer Corps is to remain on the job around the clock seven days a week, your help is needed. Tomorrow, telephone your nearest Civil Defense Center and volunteer a few hours of your time each week to the Ground Observer Corps. Join our Ground Observer Corps at the Civil Defense Center nearest your home. Now here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, three sets of twins. Two men, two girls, and two fires that hit the coast
4: of Florida with the impact of a hurricane. Join us, won't you? Yours truly,
1: Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. Written by Charles B. Smith, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Forrest Lewis, Lou Merrill, Lawrence Dobkin, and Frank Gerstle. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Dan Coverley speaking.
3: From Hollywood, it's time
7: now for... Johnny Dollar. Roy Vickers,
4: New Britain Mutual, Johnny. Hi, Roy. How'd you like to try some Creole cooking? Okay, what's up?
8: One of the bellhops at the St. Agnes Hotel in New Orleans had quite a time last night. He opened the safe and walked out with $7,500 in cash and a diamond necklace worth a cool 25000
4: So help me, Roy. I didn't know bellhops had so much fun.
8: That isn't all. You also stole a station wagon belonging to the hotel manager, not to mention the manager's wife.
4: What do you want back?
8: Mainly that necklace. It's the property of one of our clients. She was stopping at the St. Agnes and had it stowed in the hotel safe. Any line on the bellhop? Not a trace so far. The wife? Don't be funny. Can you hop a plane down there and see what's happened for us?
4: Sure, Roy. <laughs>
7: Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Valentine matter. Expense account item one: one hundred and seventy-five dollars and no cents. Airfare and the incidental costs it takes to get from Hartford to New Orleans. Once there, I was more than surprised to discover the police had wound up the whole case. The prodigal bellhop, along with the seventy-five hundred in cash, the diamond necklace, the station wagon, even the manager's wife, had all been recovered. Everything and everyone tearful, but intact. I reported this development to all parties concerned, phoned the airport for a reservation back to Hartford, which they said would be the following afternoon, and then looked around for something to do. I found a spot on Burgundy Street that seemed to be less crowded than the others and settled down for the evening. That's where it happened. He was sitting alone, tall, gray-haired, rugged. A face full of some 50 odd years, I guessed, and full of some other things no one could guess. It was three drinks at the bar before I made out who he was, who he had been. A man who was once big, in a way that only prohibition made them big. This seat taken? No. Mind if I sit down, Mr. Valentine? Well, you
0: can't be that old. How old? Old enough to recognize me. Recognize you from your
4: picture. A long time ago.
0: Time. Hm. I guess I could tell you more about that than anybody. You a cop? No, I'm an insurance investigator. You were a cop once? Once. Can I
4: buy you a drink, Mr. Valentine?
0: Dan's enough. Sure. You're doing better than the boys in the force. I've been living in New Orleans for three months now. Nobody's calling me.
4: Any reason why they should?
0: No. No, there isn't. But then no one's ever figured out a way to stop a policeman from making a visit when he wants to. Uh, that's true. And that's a funny thing. There's a lot of policemen I've liked in my day. Visiting policemen. That is, on certain days. You're too young to remember much about it, Dollar, but a long time ago, a bunch of old women made a law called the, uh, Volstead Act. Sure. Prohibition. Everybody heard about it. Including the old women who passed the law. You see, this law was supposed to be for the other guy, not for them. Anyhow, a lot of people started bottling up violations of this Ballstead Act. You tired?
4: No, not a bit, Dan.
0: Well, I got me a lot of money and a lot of trouble. Thirteen years for income tax evasion, finally. Ended just three months ago, and I came here to live happily ever after. Funny?
4: No. New Orleans is a nice, quiet place to live. Better still, no one's bothering you.
0: That's the way I want to keep it. And they can pass a thousand stupid laws, and I'm not going to fall for any of them. Everything the book says, everything in order. How does that sound? Pretty good. Do you believe it? Yes, I do. Then I've got my point over. I'm flattered that you recognize me, Dollar. I paid back ten
4: days for every one I took. Now, all I ask is that you don't ask the police to bother me. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, Dan, you didn't even have the dinner I'm about to buy for you. Dollar, it's nice to come out of
0: prison and be recognized by a nice guy. where we go, Jimmy Moran's.
4: That's where we went, and it was a swell dinner. Only Dan Valentine didn't eat much of it. He tried to smile and crack wise, but there was a sadness about him that stood in the way. I wanted to ask him more questions about those days back when, but I didn't. We dropped into a couple of other places. The Absinthe House, Joe Glorioso's. We listened to some jazz and drank Sazerac's and walked along Canal Street. Finally, we shook hands and said good night. Expense account item two, $26.26. Hotel, board, and miscellaneous. The next morning, I packed my bags, checked out of my hotel, and was about to take a limousine out to Mobile Airport.
2: Oh, uh, Mr. Donner? Yeah. A message for you. Oh,
4: thanks. It was from a police officer on the New Orleans force, an Inspector DeBaca. Could I drop by before I left town? I went right over and met DeBaca, a tall, lean, gray-haired man with 30 years service who kind of puzzled me at first.
8: Thanks for coming by, Donner. Sure. Sit
4: down. What's up? The bellhop... Take back his confession on that necklace theft?
8: No, no. This is something else, darling. Dan Valentine. Oh. You met him about 6.30 last night. You had two drinks with him, and he went over to Moran's and had dinner. You went to two other places. You left him at 11.30.
4: Yeah. I also brushed my teeth when I got back to the hotel, but I bet you can't tell me what color my pajamas are.
8: Now, take are. it easy. Just take it easy. Maybe I'm saying this bad. He doesn't know it, but we've been keeping an eye on Danny ever since he showed up in New Orleans just so happened you were with him last night, and you did business with us here yesterday afternoon. So? We want to know if you had any business with Dan Valentine. Don't be funny, Inspector. Okay, okay. Now, don't get huffy. Let me put it this way. Dan came to New Orleans three months ago, bought a house out in Jefferson Parish. He hired a housekeeper, bought himself a little car, took up fishing every afternoon or just walking.
4: Nothing wrong with that?
8: No, of course there isn't. We liked it Fine. The boys in the car drive by now and then to look at him. Just look. No questions, no knocking on the door. When we see Danny in town, we turn the other way. Just look, you see? Sure. Now, he doesn't have any visitors. No old pals from Chicago or New York or Detroit come to see him. He lives alone.
4: And he likes it. That's what he told me.
8: You're his first visitor. Now, I just wondered. You wondered wrong, DeBaca. okay. Okay. (laughs) I had to ask about it. You know how it is. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Right on cue. Your pal just stopped a couple of bullets. Huh? Danny Valentine. Come on.
4: According to the uniformed officer who had put in the call, a newspaper boy had found Valentine lying on the sidewalk and roused the neighborhood. One of the residents had carried him inside. The ambulance crew stood by the bed as we came in. Valentine was lying on his back, the white chenille spread under him changing to a deep red. Two bullets had ripped ragged holes in one shoulder through flesh and bone. But he was just as self contained as ever.
8: I got the idea you were going to stay out of trouble, Dan.
4: I didn't know I was in
0: any trouble. Are you, Dollar? Okay. You went to the police after all? No.
8: The inspector called me in. About you, Dan, but let's forget that for now. How'd this happen?
0: This. Cleaning my gun.
8: You're a loser, Dan. You're not supposed to have a gun.
0: Oh, you know me and the law. We sometimes didn't hit it off.
8: Odd. where is the gun? What gun? The gun you were cleaning when you were walking down the street and shot yourself.
0: I swallowed it.
8: Now, look. Somebody's taken a couple of shots at you, Dan. Nobody can tell us anything about it but you so far. We don't want you murdered. Well... Okay, boys. Get the ambulance back. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're hurt. You're going to the police hospital.
0: No, no. I've served my time, and I'm clean. Being shot at even in this state doesn't make you a criminal. Dollar. Yeah, Dan. Do me a favor. Would you phone a private
8: hospital and have me taken there? Go ahead, Johnny. Take it easy, Dan. I did as he asked. A
4: crew from one of the large private hospitals was out there in a matter of minutes. An hour and a half later, Dan Valentine was operated on... and the bullet successfully removed from his shoulder. I waited around until he was taken to a private room... and Inspector DeBaca waited with me.
8: Dollar? Yeah? Why don't you go back to Hartford? This isn't any of your business.
4: I know. My plane takes off at four. I'll be on it.
8: Why are you waiting around here?
4: Oh, to see how he is, I guess.
8: Your pal of yours? I
4: just met him last night. You know that.
8: But you're waiting around. Yeah. You want me to tell you why you're waiting around? You want to make sure he's okay. You met him last night, and outside of what you ever read or heard about him, you don't know him from a load of coal. But you want to make sure he's gonna be all right. Well, so do I. Because in that room and on that bed lies quite a man.
4: that about summed it up. No matter what he had been or what he had done, Dan Valentine was quite a man. It was the same thing that had caused me to go over to him the night before and start a conversation. The same thing that caused me to believe his plans for living a quiet life in New Orleans. He came out of the anesthetic a half hour later and he sent for me. Hi. Hi. They say it's going to be okay. Oh, sure, sure. This is
0: nothing. I just wanted to thank you for giving me a hand. DeBaca could probably
4: help you more. All you have to do is tell him who shot you and why. I shot myself and just for something to do. Look, Dan, I have a fair idea of how tough things were for you and how tough they can be now. But Inspector DeBaca understands it, too. He'll do everything he can to help you, but you have to help him, Dan.
0: DeBaca's a good boy. You're right. You'll tell him who shot you? If there was any way he could help me, I'd let him know first. I'll handle this myself. Guess you'll want to be getting your airplane. (sighs) Yeah.
4: Good luck, kiddo. Same to you. I went back to my hotel, picked up my bags, and took a cab to Mobile Airport. My plane had developed engine trouble, and there was going to be a five-hour delay. I killed time at the bar and in the restaurant and just standing around looking at the field at night. By that time, the newspapers carried the story of the attempt on Dan Valentine's life. It was as skimpy as the story Dan had told himself, and it troubled me. Mr. Dollar. Yeah? Long distance call for you from Hartford. Uh, You can take it right in there. Oh, thanks. Johnny Dollar.
8: Roy Vickers Johnny at New Britain Mutual. Glad I caught you.
4: Just waiting for my plane back to Hartford now.
8: The story about Dan Valentine's and all the papers up here. Have you
4: read it? Yeah, I was in on it, in a way. Somebody shot at him today. He won't tell who. Says he'll handle it himself.
8: Can you find out, Johnny?
4: I don't know. Why?
8: We carry a $50,000 policy on him. Somebody's trying to kill him. We'd
3: like to know all about it.
4: You mean I can stay here and work on this? Yes. Okay, Roy.
7: be another intriguing episode in our story of the valentine matter tomorrow tomorrow all the king's men that could be the new
4: orleans police force try to keep one man alive
7: and they almost do it
4: join us won't you yours truly johnny dollar
7: Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for another exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Hollywood. It's time now for. Johnny Dollar. This is Charlie DeBaca down at headquarters. You left a call for me? That's right, Inspector.
4: Thought you went back to Hartford. What now? The company I represent happens to hold an insurance policy on Dan Valentine. They asked me to stay here in New Orleans and look into this attempt on his life. How'd they hear about it so fast? Well, it was in all the papers and on the wire services. Valentine's always been news, ever since Prohibition. He's still quiet about the whole thing?
8: Just like a mouse who won't open up... except to say he'll take care of it himself.
4: Maybe it'll help matters when he finds out... the insurance company's interested.
8: You know something? What? I don't think me, you, the whole force... the insurance company or anybody else... can keep that bird alive unless he
3: helps us.
7: Tonight and every weekday night... Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Valentine matter. Expense account continued. Item three, three bucks. One telegram to Roy Vickers in Hartford requesting a copy of the policy contracts between New Britain Mutual and Dan Valentine. Plus the name and location of the beneficiary and any other debt on the case. After that, I walked over to the police station and looked up Inspector DeBaca.
8: Sit down. Thanks. I don't quite get this, Dollar. What's your part?
4: Well, the insurance company would like a full report on everything that's happened, that's all.
8: You could give them that on the back of your thumbnail, couldn't you? Not quite, Inspector. Oh, you mean a separate report from what we have? Something like that, yes. Well, it's their dough. They can spend it any way they want to, I guess.
4: If there's any reason for them canceling the policy on Valentine, they'll do it. The fact that somebody shot at him a couple of times and came near killing him is one thing. The fact that he won't open his mouth about it is another they're looking for a way out. I didn't say that. They just want to make sure about everything. That's all. An insurance policy is a contract, mutually beneficial to both parties. Both parties have to keep the line of that contract.
8: They don't figure Danny Valentine to run around shooting himself for insurance money,
4: <sighs> Inspector. They don't figure anything.
8: Well, now that you've been official, be unofficial. What's your idea?
4: Well. Valentine's got a legitimate policy with the company. They don't want to see him killed. They tell me to investigate the shooting. Actually, they're telling me to see to it that he stays alive and well.
8: Well, that makes sense.
4: Good luck. If you'll sort of let me tag along on the case, I'd appreciate it.
8: Well, we'll see.
4: Oh, what's the matter now?
8: It just occurred to me, Valentine bought a house out in Jefferson Parish three months ago, a couple of days after he was released from federal pen. He's lived there quiet, minding his own business, keeping his nose out of trouble. Yeah. Well, as long as a man does that, even a man with a background like Valentine's, as long as a man does that, we don't bother him, and he doesn't bother us. Well, so? So what happens? Yesterday, you meet him and have a couple of drinks with him. Hello and goodbye. Boom, boom. He gets shot twice. By somebody, somewhere. You a bad news boy?
4: Now, that's as wild as you can get. We had nothing together except the drinks.
8: You sure? I'm sure. Well, I'm thinking about it just the same. Here. Be back in a minute.
4: The bulky, thick folder Inspector DeBaca shoved across the desk at me was marked Valentine Daniel. It started in 1915 and was fat with yellowed clippings all the way through 1942. It was a pretty good history of Dan Valentine and the age he lived in. He was born in Ireland and had fought in the Irish Rebellion. He was regarded as both hero and scoundrel. For his own good, he came to America. Somehow, he started out in the wholesale drug business. And understandably, it was an easy step to making prohibition alcohol. And an even easier step to make prison on an income tax evasion charge. The folder mentioned a wife and a daughter who seemed to have successfully avoided most of the newspaper headlines that had involved Dan Valentine. There was one picture of Mrs. Valentine taken in 1928. That's about as far as I got when DeBaca came back into the room, not alone.
8: Interesting stuff?
4: Very, Inspector, very.
8: Well, here's something more interesting. My men have been covering the neighborhood where the shooting happened yesterday afternoon. This man's a witness. This is Mr. Dollar. He's an insurance investigator. It's Willie Blakely.
9: Oh, I, how do you do, sir? Hope you can help us, Willie. Well, I can try, hmm? I I really didn't see too much. You see, I was on my milk truck and I saw this fella, this this big fella walking down the street, uh, what's his name?
4: Dan Valentine.
9: Yes, sir. Well, he was just walking, like for an early morning walk, and then I saw this car come around the corner, and there were a couple of men in it.
8: What kind of car?
9: I think it was a Buick Sedan. I'm not sure. It was a black car.
8: You happen to get the license number?
9: No. All
8: right, go on.
9: Well, sir, this Mr. Valentine, he looked up when he saw it coming, and he stopped. You know, kind of funny?
8: No, I don't know. Tell me.
9: You know, like he was surprised. Do you think he was surprised at who was in the car? Yes, sir, that's it. He he sort of smiled. Not a hello kind of a smile. Hmm? Sort of a sad smile. Didn't wave, just stood there. I couldn't see the men in the car by then, so I don't know how they were looking at him. Did you see them as they rounded the corner? Yeah, just a couple of fellas, dark coats and hats. Would you know them if you saw them again? Uh, (laughs) I don't think so, Captain. Okay, two men. Yes, sir. So this this Mr. Valentine stopped and and looked at him and and given this kind of smile. He recognized him, you think? Oh, yeah. And then I heard a noise, you know, something like, whack, whack. Mr. Valentine fell down, and a car drove off. Did Valentine go for a gun? No, sir. What did you do then? Well, I got out of there. Why? Well, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't want to get hurt. You didn't even try to help him? No, sir. I was scared. I didn't know what that whack-whack was, sir.
8: It took you all this time to tell us about it.
9: Sorry, Captain.
8: Uh, darling. Yeah? You got something to worry about. Hmm? That noise he was talking about... Didn't sound like regular gunshots, or he would have said so. Silencer. What else?
4: Inspector DeBaca continued to question the witness, trying to ascertain more details about the shooting, the car, and the men inside the car. Four hours later, when I left, he was still at it. Some more expenses. Item four: two dollars and a half. Cab fare from police station to hospital. I thought I'd drop in and take a chance on Dan Valentine coming across with some information.
9: Sorry, no visitors. It's pretty important. I'm a friend of his. I'm sorry. When can I see him? That's hard to say. Mr. Valentine's condition is not too good. What? Well, nothing to be alarmed about. He lost so much blood that he's in a weakened condition. The doctor's ordered a transfusion. Oh. You can phone in later if you like. Excuse me. Yes, ma'am.
10: I should like to see Mr. Valentine, please.
9: I'm sorry. I was just telling this gentleman that's impossible. How is he? He needs rest. The doctor feels he'd be better off without visitors at the moment.
10: Thank you.
4: I had a feeling about the gray-haired, well-dressed woman, and I hurried after her down the long corridor outside the hospital. I was just in time to see her take a cab that had been waiting at the curb. I managed to hail one myself, and we tagged along Canal Street behind her until she paid off the driver in front of the Roosevelt Hotel. I was right behind her when she stopped in the lobby and got a key to room 1016. I gave her five minutes, then I knocked on her door.
3: Yes?
4: Hello, Mrs. Valentine. My name's Johnny Dollar. Anne Valentine looked at me for a long time. I had to hand it to her. There were no tears, no frowns, or screams. Just a wide, frank look from a woman who, by any man's standards, had once been beautiful.
10: I haven't been called by that name for many years. You're a reporter, of course. No,
4: I'm not. I'm an insurance investigator. In a policeman's office today, I saw one of the few pictures ever taken of you.
10: At this hotel, I'm registered under the name of Anne Ward.
4: Ward is good enough for me, Mrs. Valentine. May I come in?
10: Now, what is it you want, Mr. Dollar?
4: Possibly the same thing you want. To keep your husband alive.
10: I believe that's up to the doctors, isn't it?
4: Not quite. If he was shot at once and he won't help the police find out who did it, there's a reasonable chance he'll be shot at again. Do you know who did it? Well, who it might be. Look, the police have found a witness who describes two men as having done the shooting. Can you add anything to that?
10: Mr. Dollar, I haven't seen Dan in over 13 years. I haven't written to him, talked to him, or contacted him in any way, either while he was in prison or these last few months he's been out. I see. It was his idea. But he
4: must have had a reason. He
10: did. Our daughter. Oh. She believes that Ward was her dead father's name. Do I make myself clear? Yeah. I read about the shooting. I caught the first plane here because I thought I might help Dan. My daughter thinks I'm on a little vacation by myself. You don't believe me, do you?
4: Well, in view of what you've just said about not having written to him for 13 years... That was the
10: way he wanted it. I was never ashamed of Dan, never. He was ashamed of himself and how his activities might affect us. He gave me everything I ever had out of life. In New Salem, that's where we live, and live very well because Dan saw to that part of it before he went to prison. We are considered very proper people, Teresa and myself. Dan sacrificed a great deal for that consideration.
4: I think that you have sacrificed a great deal yourself, Mrs. Valentine.
10: When I go back to the hospital to see him tonight, he'll probably tell me to pack my bag and go home, that there's nothing to worry about.
4: But there is something to worry about, isn't there, Mrs. Valentine? He won't talk about it, and you won't talk about it, and both of you know all about it.
10: Oh, Mr. Dollar, you're a very young man. I'm sorry if I sound like I could help you. I can't. Please go.
4: I went back to my hotel and had some dinner. Then after a while I put in a phone call to the hospital and found out I could talk to Dan Valentine between 7.30 and 9. About then, a special delivery came for me. It contained the information I wanted regarding the policy on Dan Valentine. I noticed that the beneficiary was a dual affair, wife and daughter, Anne and Teresa Ward. I had to check with Inspector DeBaca just once more. No luck. He had been unable to identify or locate the two killers described by the witness. He was trying to trace the car. 7.30 on the dot, I was at the hospital. The reception desk seemed reluctant to talk and referred me to the head nurse who happened to be out to dinner, who referred me to the surgical nurse who took me aside and told me to find a crystal ball.
10: Mr. Valentine's gone. We have no idea where. How
4: could he be gone?
10: We started to give him a transfusion. He jumped up suddenly, knocked down one of the male nurses, grabbed his clothes and ran out of the hospital. Just as simple as that.
4: I thought he was in a serious condition.
10: keep your voice down. He was in a serious condition, and it's going to be critical pretty soon. Running around town bleeding from two bullet wounds. If you want to keep him alive, Mr. Dollar, you'd better find him and find him fast.
4: I thought over what Dan Valentine had told me in the hospital earlier about taking care of the matter himself. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized he was going to do just that, even if it killed him.
7: be another intriguing episode in our story of the valentine matter tomorrow tomorrow what happens to a 30-year-old grudge when somebody explains it with bullets join us
4: won't you yours truly johnny dollar
7: yours truly johnny dollar starring bob bailey is transcribed in hollywood written by john dawson it is produced and directed by jack johnstone Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for another exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. hollywood it's time now for johnny dollar
10: this is anne ward mrs valentine have you heard anything about dan
4: nothing mrs valentine the police are looking everywhere for him
10: i went to the hospital tonight and they told me he walked out he might die mr dollar
4: i know mrs valentine
10: did you tell anyone i was here in new orleans
4: if you mean did i mention it to the police no
10: thank you mr dollar that was very kind
4: of you but it makes me mad that i didn't mrs valentine I know you don't want anybody to find you are related to him because of your daughter. But I also think you could help the police in this situation. You could help them find Dan and put him back in a hospital. Mr. Dollar, would you come over and talk to me, please? Please.
7: Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Valentine matter. Some more expense. I believe this is item five. Yeah, four bucks. Four drinks for myself. When a next big shot of the roaring 20s like Dan Valentine carries a $50,000 life insurance policy and walks down the street one day and gets himself shot and refuses to disclose who fired the bullets, I have to do the worrying for the insurance company. When he decides to leave a hospital bed minus a pint or two of blood, I have to worry some more. I needed those drinks... You can just say I liked what I'd seen of the guy and I didn't want him to walk around New Orleans bleeding to death.
10: In here, please, Mr. Dollar.
4: The wife who hadn't seen or heard from him for 13 years looked pale and wan. It was obvious that the strain was beginning to tell on her, although she tried hard not to show it.
10: Doesn't it ever cool off in New Orleans?
4: Sometimes. But I'm not here to talk about the weather, Mrs. Valentine. You know that. Yes, I know. Well, don't just stand there and give me the tears, then. If you've got anything to say, say it. If you know anything that'll help, let me know about it.
10: You're perfectly right in being angry with me. Mr. Dollar, I honestly don't know where Dan is.
4: Well, do you know why he'd get up out of a hospital bed and endanger his life?
10: I have an idea. He might have wanted to see somebody. Who? I don't know.
4: The two men who shot at him?
10: Perhaps. I just don't know.
4: We aren't getting anywhere, Mrs. Valentine. Look, I'm going to talk to you frankly... Why did he come here to live in New Orleans? Well... I... You live in New England with your daughter, Teresa. Obviously, Dan thinks a great deal of you and her. He's given you everything, provided for you, with all of his troubles. Spent 13 years in prison. I can imagine his thoughts about you and her while he was in there. And yet he comes out and lives 2,000 miles away from you.
10: He didn't want to interfere with Teresa in any way.
4: Sure. But it seems to me he'd want to look at you, at her certainly... Even if it was a matter of living in Boston and taking a bus to New Salem and standing on a street corner one day to watch the two of you cross the street. That sound reasonable to you?
10: If you put it that way.
4: Well, look, there's some reason he picked New Orleans. Some reason he didn't give himself the little gratification of just looking at you and Teresa. Why? Why here?
10: I'm sure I don't know.
4: And why is he running around now?
10: I can't answer that either.
4: But it must have something to do with you and your daughter. Obviously, you're the only ones he ever cared about. Well?
10: I honestly don't know.
4: Well, and I I can't help you, and I can't help myself or him.
10: You mentioned his having a reason to be in New Orleans. Maybe... What? There was a man named Webster, Conrad Webster. He was a member of the Illinois Bar once in those days. Did a great deal of work for Dan and friends of Dan. I think he lived here. Wait
4: a minute. I've seen that name. Yeah, on copies of the insurance policy. A man named Webster had the power of attorney. He bought the insurance. There's a trust in there for your daughter.
10: Yes, Conrad Webster was an old friend of Dan's. I don't even know whether he's alive now or not. He drank a great deal later on. I think he lived here.
4: Was he the kind of friend Dan would go to if he needed help?
10: Yes, I think so. All right. What are you going to do?
4: It's just something to look into. I'll try and find Webster, and maybe I can find your husband.
10: Thank you for coming by. I needed somebody to talk to. (laughs) What?
4: I hope he stays alive, Mrs. Valentine. (laughs) Item 7, $16. The money it cost me to find out the location of Conrad Webster. I started at his last known address, followed a series of bars, and finally got information from a bartender that led me to the crummier half of a decaying duplex on Gentilly Street. Everything was quiet for Gentilly Street.
11: Huh. Young man, the drugstore delivers what I need most. The telegraph office what I dread most. Obviously, you represent neither, and therefore you are no concern of mine. Wait a minute. Are you Mr. Webster? Conrad Webster? I am he, and I am drunk and disheveled, and it is 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd like to talk with you.
4: May I come in? You may not. This isn't exactly the hour for making calls, but I did stop by and pick up something to take the edge off.
11: A... Huh? It's bonded. Oh, inside, inside. Yeah. Now then, you uh, were going to apologize.
4: Here you are, Mr. Webster. Yeah. Uh,
11: uh. Oh, well. Yeah. <sighs> now then, as long as this lasts, you will last. All right. I'm looking for a man. <laughs> the entire world is looking for a man, just one man. A man they blindly presume will break off these shackles that bind us and lead us forth into eternal justice.
4: Yeah, yeah, sure, but that's not why An I'm...
11: ironic anticipation.
4: I'm talking about Dan Valentine.
11: You are? Yes, I'm a friend of his. No. No, you don't come from that place. The pallor is not with you. You lie.
4: I didn't say I was in jail with him.
11: And where else would he have made friends these long
4: years? He's out of prison now. He's been out for three months. And I'm aware of that. Did you know he was shot at yesterday? Three hours ago, he left his hospital bed. I thought he might have come to you.
11: Is he here? He is not. Do you know where he is? I
4: do not. Mr. Webster, if Valentine isn't back in the hospital pretty soon, he'll die.
11: Why is the phenomenon of death so persistently alarming? So he will die. They all die.
4: Usually from a bullet. And that's what's going to happen to him. Two bullets he stopped yesterday. Do you understand me?
11: Acutely, acutely. You've impressed me with the urgency of his situation. But Dan Valentine is not here, nor has he been here, nor has he contacted me, nor do I know where to contact him. All right, Mr. Webster, all right. I guess I believe you. Your your concern for him is a distressing irritation. What is the reason for it? I'm an
4: insurance investigator, and it's my job to keep him alive. More than that, I like him.
11: I told you I was his friend. I think he deserves to live. You his friend? No. You are too young to be his friend. His friends, for the most part, are gone, like the long years, like Hamburg hats and the Charleston and Lime Ricky. The ones who are left are broken and tired and faded, with old faces, faces like mine, like his, and we should be gone too. Another age is here. this is my sadness. As for yours, Dan Valentine should never have lived in that age or this age. He was meant to be an explorer, a pioneer who conquered a wilderness, not a racketeer who conquered a west side. Are you sure you're his friend, Mr. Webster? I once thought so. (laughs) He once thought so. Now... I haven't strength enough to be anyone's friend. What's your name? Johnny Dollar. Good night, Mr. Dollar. The look in Conrad
4: Webster's eyes held the same sort of sadness... I had seen in Valentine's eyes. But they were different, too. They held a weakness. The strong, sad eyes were somewhere else in the city... walking alone, probably looking for two gunmen and the lifeblood was slowly draining from the body that sparked them. I went back to my hotel and tried to sleep, but sleep wouldn't come. I was still rolling and tossing at 7.30 the next morning when orange juice, coffee, and the morning paper came up. A nationwide syndicate had picked up the new development in the Valentine shooting and gone to work on it. Among other names they mentioned in giving a resume of Valentine's career were his wife and daughter living in New Salem under the name of Ward. This is Johnny Dollar. I just read the morning paper, Mrs. Valentine. Oh, yes. I'm sorry it broke for you this way.
10: That's very kind of you to say so. Maybe it's for the better, anyhow. For years, I've been wanting to tell Teresa who her father is, what he's like. I'm going to call her later today, tell her where I am, explain why I'm here. I think she can take
4: it. You're doing pretty well yourself.
10: (laughs) Thanks again. Any word yet?
4: No. No, we still can't find him.
10: Mr. Webster, did you find him?
4: Yes, he wasn't much help.
10: The New England paper said that Mrs. Ward was out of town. Sooner or later, they'll find out what town Mrs. Ward is in, I'm afraid.
4: Well, maybe you'd better get another hotel, use another name. Yes. All right, I'll wait to hear from you. Mr. Dollar? Yes? Thank you. I put in another call to Inspector DeBaca and asked him about developments. Valentine was still unlocated. They were covering drugstores and doctor's offices where he might seek assistance. The two unidentified men who had shot him were still unidentified. The police weren't able to dig up any more witnesses or get any line on the car. By four in the afternoon, Mrs. Valentine had still not called me to report a new address. I got worried and went over to the Roosevelt to see what was what. I was surprised to see Inspector DeBaca in the lobby talking to the bell captain.
8: All right, son. If you remember anything else, call me here.
11: Yes, sir. I sure will.
8: Hi. Hi, Dollar. Well you want to talk first or do you want me to? All right, I'll talk first. Mrs. Valentine's been staying here under the name of Ann Ward. You knew that? Yeah. Why didn't you say anything to me?
4: She asked me not to.
8: Doesn't make any difference now, anyhow. That boy over there called us a little while ago. He said that Dan Valentine came in here this afternoon, went upstairs, came back down 15 minutes later with Mrs. Valentine. They both left together.
4: Yeah, he must have seen the story in this morning's paper and guessed she was in town.
8: That's the way I see it. Well, we're right back where we started from, and I'm about sick of it.
4: We're a little better off. Two people are easier to find than one. We found them all right at 7 o'clock that night, and it was easy. Three squad cars were already drawn up in front of the little hotel, and I noticed with a sinking heart that a hearse was there also. Dan Valentine and his wife were dead.
7: Another intriguing episode in our story of the Valentine Matter tomorrow. Tomorrow, proof that the murder
4: of Dan Valentine and his wife aren't the only murders to be solved. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.